What keeps you safe? That's my question this morning. What keeps you safe? I'm talking particularly about safety in life and death. I think where you see people find their real safety is revealed at funerals. So I'm a minister, I'm a fellow elder here, but one of my jobs is I often, I'm involved a lot in weddings and funerals. What do you see at weddings? At weddings you see how people like to party. At funerals you see how people die. And in those moments, whether it's been by the deathbed in the hospital and the family's there, or whether it's been at the funeral in the church building, or whether it's been at the graveside as the casket is lowered, it's funerals where you see on display where people find their safety in life and death. There is grief and shock, there is loss, but then there's something else that happens at funerals. As a Christian person, cards on the table, I'm a believer in Jesus, I'd stake my life on him. But also I proclaim him, I preach him and I do that at funerals, I get a lot of calls, would you bury our loved one, would you, and I always, generally if I'm not on holidays, say yes. Don't say no. I do it for free. I don't want to do it for money. I serve people. But what I noticed as I've done this over the years in Australia, it's at funerals where particularly where people perhaps haven't given God a second thought all their life. And even the relatives, the loved ones there. It's in that place that people are thinking, where is my loved one now? And here's where it gets sadder and harder. Because people see me, oh, you're the minister, you're the, somehow see me as the expert in death and spiritual things, they want me to say. And they don't say it explicitly, they don't ask me, but they, it's all sorts of ways. They want me to say, give them some assurance that their relative is safe now. And it's said in the side comments over the wake, or at the service, end of the service, a lovely service, isn't our loved one in heaven smiling down now? It's, it's never directly, would you tell me? Would you tell me they're safe, wherever they are? It's just usually, well, they'd be smiling down on this service from heaven, wouldn't they? What is the expected answer? Yes, they are. They're in heaven right now. It's at funerals in Australia where you see where people hold their safety. Where do they believe their safety is? It's been said before, but in Australia, we have come to believe in our society, we're justified by death. So we die, doesn't matter how we live our life, or we give a second thought to God, but we're zoomed straight to heaven. Where is your safety? What keeps you safe? Particularly, friends, what keeps you safe if you're tuning in online or you're watching it? What keeps you safe in life and in death?
when you step into eternity, and you will, all, uh, it's been said before from this pulpit, the current death rate of our society is hovering still at 100%. You and I will die. You and I will step into eternity. Where is your safety in life and death? The Heidelberg Catechism, written in 1536, will publish then, that we are going to say in our time of communion in the Lord's Supper together, the Heidelberg Catechism has this question as the Lord's Day 1, it's 52 days, it goes across the year but, uh, for Sundays, but Lord's Day 1, the question is this, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer, that I'm not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. When the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Philippians 3, when he turns to talk about these things, he sees a bunch of people he loves and the neighbours that they love in Philippi and he says, I want you to know where to find your safety in life and death. You see in verse 1 there, 3 verse 1, Finally, my brothers and sisters... Rejoice in the Lord. And he's already written this. Like Philippians, this is why we call this series Joyful Community, because the word joy and rejoice is the most repeated word, stands out in this letter. So he's already said rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in Jesus. And you could be asking, why is he saying it again? Why? Look in verse 1. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. It's safe. This is the place of safety, is to rejoice in the Lord. Because in our world, in our society, there are many things that can hurt and damage us, but the most dangerous thing that threatens us is not being safe in Jesus Christ. And the biggest threat to not being safe in Jesus Christ for Christians and those who are not yet Christians, Paul says in this chapter, in this section, you know what the most dangerous thing is for the Christian faith? It's not politics. It's not that one party is in government or not. The most dangerous things for those who have their faith in Christ or those who are yet just checking out Jesus, it's not going to be that there's a war somewhere else in the world. It's not going to be a crumbling economy. These are not the most dangerous things. It's not that the superannuation is devalued or your mortgage is going to increase. They are not the most dangerous things to us. They're not the biggest threats. The biggest threat, Paul says in Philippians 3, to us is self-righteousness. Paul talks about righteousness here in this passage. What's he talking about? If you're not familiar with that term, it's acceptance. Acceptance with God it's how we view ourselves before God, but also other people. And acceptance is what we need. We need this righteousness. We need to stay safe because our lives are so fragile. And I don't need to prove that. Just watch the news. What keeps you safe? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord with your confidence in Christ. You look at verse 1, finally, my brothers and sisters, finally. Now, he says, rejoice in the Lord. That's the 
command, it's the imperative. He's, he's commanding us to have joy. Why? Because we can. It's not a manufactured joy. Yeah, some people like, it's almost like we treat having joy as, well, I need to look like I'm, I'm happy. So we, we kind of put on the smile, the perkiness, the, oh, I'm, how are you? I'm fine. But it's not a real joy. Real joy can even have tears. Real joys, even if there's sadness or sorrow or hardship or trial, I can still have joy. I have a real joy that endures those things. Paul says you can have this because of Jesus. And then he says, I've got a warning for you, friends. Watch out for the dogs. Now, in Australia, if you say watch out for the dogs, you go, oh, the dogs. I watch the dogs on the weekend. Be that the bulldogs or the track dogs, whatever dogs you like. But Paul's got a warning, so it can't be the good dogs. It's not the good kind of dogs. He says, have a look there. Watch out for the dogs. And then he says, Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. These don't sound like friends. In fact, in that same sentence, there are three times the same command. Look out, look out, look out. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the bad guys. Now, if you were to call someone a dog today, that might be offensive. right? So, over morning tea... Uh, if you were to say, oh, that's a dog act, you know, we, we kind of go, we'd feel that, wouldn't we? But we wouldn't say that here to someone because we know that that is, that is not how we love people. Is Paul just being name-cally? No, he's not doing that. He's actually picking up a name that is given to a group of people. Uh, by the way, it's given to us. In antiquity, Jews would look at Gentiles and call them dogs. We know this with a Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. And that whole narrative is beautiful, the way that she understands who Jesus is, because she's an outsider, she's a Gentile, she's not in with the Jews. And, and Judaism takes this label and says, we are the right ones, we're the perfect society, we're the righteous ones, the rest of the dogs, the scavengers... And here's where it gets crazy. Do you see what Paul's doing? Paul, if you want to find the most Jewish person in the universe, who do you look to? You can look to Paul in the New Testament. Paul, who's a Jew, says, watch out for the dogs. And you go, oh yeah, watch out for those Gentiles. He doesn't say the Gentiles. He says, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about the circumcision party. He's talking about Judaism. Watch out for Judaism. Now, when you hear circumcision party, and Amy said, look, we've got kids in the congregation this morning, Russ, so you just got to be careful with that sort of thing, but it doesn't sound like the funnest party to be part of, does it? Right, if you're thinking political parties, but it's a faction, it's a group in Judaism that hold to this, you're only safe with God if you're circumcised. It's great that you're a Jew, or great that you're a convert to Judaism, but you're really safe and you're assured of safety, you're assured of going to heaven if you've had that little snip, if you've had that happen to you and your household is then covered. Your household is safe too. And Paul says, no, watch out for the dogs. 
You see, for the Jews, the Old Testament uh, symbol, that, that sacrament of circumcision, was a symbol of covenant relationship between them and God. It was a sign of grace. And what they've done is taken a sign of grace, which we see ends up being replaced in Colossians in the New Testament with baptism, but they take this sign of grace and they make that the sign of safety. They take something that God gives as you're part of my people and they take it and say, this is how we get to be in and part of your people. We just do this, keeps us safe. Ultimately, the Judaizers are coming along and amongst the church and saying, hey, it's great that you're saved in Jesus, that's wonderful. But as a Judaizer background Christian, I'm going to tell you, you need to also be circumcised to be safe. And Paul says, no. We rejoice in Christ. We don't have confidence in the flesh. Paul speaks to them who'd be tempted to find their safety this way. They'd be tempted to say, yeah, if I just do this thing, then at my funeral I know I'm safe. My relatives will know I'm safe. Why? I was circumcised. My family had a circumcised male leader in the family. Therefore, we're safe and sound. And Paul says, no, that's not where you find your safety. Now, friends, if you're tuning in online and you're visiting with us and you are not a believer in Jesus, you're not a Christian person, you are very welcome to be with us. And you also might be thinking, well, that would never be Australia. Like, this is so far. This, this is antiquity. It's first century world. It's not our 21st century world. This is so different. We would never be like this. This is for those religious people that think you've got to do circumcision or something. What is this conversation about? Can we just cut to the chase and get to morning tea and church lunch? Let's just be done. But actually, this is very much Australia. You see on the outline there, I think that this is society's creed. I want to read verses 4 to 6 again, and then I want to give you the society creed. You could just fill in the blanks. Look at verse 4. Paul says, here's the creed of that day. The creed of Judaism is this. I was this, Paul says, verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That is the claim, the creed of the Judaizer. This is my resume. This is my CV. Before God, I've ticked all the right boxes. I've done all the right things. And now I'm safe. Here is our society's creed. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in themselves, I have more. I was born in the West. Born in Australia even. Enlightened society I grew up in. Of the people of Australia, an equal society. We believe in equality here. We don't know why. Of the tribe of good people, a nice person of nice people. As to moral values and standards, I'm on the right side of history. As to passion, I punish disagreement. As to righteousness in my own eyes, I'm blameless. Because the blame lies with you, not me. That is our society's creed. It's what we've come to believe. You might try and claim no religion, but we religiously hold to our own standards in our society. And increasingly so, they cannot be questioned. We can't even talk about it anymore. 
We can't even have a conversation about why do we believe that and not this without outrage because this is our creed. This is our righteousness. Earlier we heard from Acts 22 that snippet of Paul's story, his biographical testimony. Here in Philippians 3 is his theological testimony. Here is why he believes in God, why it is Christ is his only safe place. So to drive it home, his theological testimony, Paul gets personal. Paul says in these four verses, these few verses, he says, if you want to play the self-righteous game, I can do that better than anyone. You know, put your confidence in the flesh, I can do that. Paul could beat you on that. Any point he could beat you on that. For Paul, when Jesus gives that parable of the Pharisee and tax collector, Paul says, I'm the Pharisee God. That's me. That's my history. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, not later as an adult. I didn't come in as an adult. I was circumcised as an infant. That covenant seal, a Jew from the beginning of God's covenant people. That's me. Of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, I'm ethnically Jewish, he says. Hebrew of Hebrews, I'm culturally pure. As to the law, a Pharisee, I'm more religious than you guys, he says. A persecutor of the church, I was passionate about cleansing Judaism from this scour that is the church. And then he says, as to righteous under the law, blameless. Friends, you can't say Paul becomes a Christian because he wasn't a very good Jew. Paul is saying, therefore, look out for the dogs. Paul is saying, look out for that temptation to put confidence in somewhere else that is not Christ. Where do we need to watch out for the dogs in Bendigo? Where are we tempted to put confidence in the flesh and not in Christ? I think just like this is a danger at Philippi, this could be a danger in reforming church. This could be a danger in any church. Churches, this is a danger. Have you heard this said? I have. Let me tell you. Direct quotes. Hey, it's great, Russ. You're a Christian now. That's great. But now, now to be really filled with the Holy Spirit, now you need to be baptized in a particular mode. Hey, it's great you're a Christian now, Russ, but now you need to speak in tongues. Hey, it's great you're a Christian now, Russ, but now you need to do X, Y, Z of those things to be really sure, to be safe. Friends, you've heard it before, Gospel Plus... That theological equation is always gospel minus. If you add anything to the gospel of grace, anything to your confidence in Christ, if you add anything to it, you automatically subtract all the meaning of the gospel away. But it's not just out there, is it? It's not just the churches where this might be a temptation. It's also in here, isn't it? Let me tell you my temptations. Let me tell you my story. 
Are you tempted like me to put confidence in the flesh and it comes out like this? I don't feel good, therefore God isn't pleased with me. Or I've sinned and I've failed again, that habit I can't kick. I need to make up for it by doing more good and then God will get me back. He'll receive me back. He's cold shouldering me right now. He's rolling his eyes at me again and I need to somehow be a good person and then he'll love me again. Or perhaps this is you. I was born in a Christian home. I'm safe as houses. Do whatever I want. Or perhaps I just need to show that I've got it all together. I'll show it with a smile. And just keeping it together will keep me safe, won't it? Or lastly, at least I'm not like them. Paul says... His testimony is, nothing compares to Christ. Nothing. Verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul says, He who once persecuted the church, he persecuted people who loved Jesus and he thought that was gain. He now says, actually, I see Christ as gain. And Paul says in verse 8, he counts anything else as rubbish. Look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because it's a passing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, rubbish is a strong word in the ESV translation we got here. That's the translation is rubbish. But I want you to notice something here. And here's where it's going to get a little bit of a higher rating on language. Language warning coming. Okay? All the parents with the kids nearby going, language warning. And I say this not because, hey, it's clever. I want us to see the shock value of what Paul is writing. Because I think if we miss this, we miss the shocking comparison and contrast. Here is what is going on. The word rubbish in verse 8 is the Greek word scubula, and it literally, it's, it's more than rubbish. The translators here are being kind to our ears and eyes. The word that's being used here is literally the word for hardened feces. So do you read this? I count them as rubbish. I count confidence anywhere else but Christ as hardened feces. He says in effect, hey, you know my social status? My Facebook status. My fame, my likes, my countless friends, my prizes, my awards, my trophies, my reputation, my career, my business, my witty remarks, my friends to back me up. My lifestyle, my religious life, whatever I found security and worth in is a constipated stool of poo. Now, why would Paul say that? Why would he say it when it seems so offensive? Friends, because of the surpassing worth of something else. He's not saying... You know, Christ is better than the bill you get in the mail. 
Like, no one likes a bill in the mail. Well, Christ is better than that. Yeah, I don't like a bill in the mail. Well, Christ is better than, than perhaps, you know, a cold shower. Yeah, I don't like a cold shower. Hot water systems in the blink. He's, no, he's, pick, he's not picking just mildly discomforting things. He's picking something that is awful. You would not want me to give you as a present hardened feces. No one wants that. He's saying, if you find confidence anywhere else other than Jesus, it's just hardened feces. That's all it is. It's rubbish. You throw it out. You flush it. You get rid of it. You want to get away from it. You certainly don't put your confidence in it. But we are so tempted to, aren't we? That's the problem with self-righteousness, is we think it's right. We think it feels good. It makes us feel confident. And Paul says, it's a hardened stool of poo. God has one thing in view. That when it comes to the supreme worth of righteousness, there is only one thing in all creation that is perfectly righteous. And it's not even a thing. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And he's the Christ. He's the Lord. He is supremely worthy of our trust, our life, our worship. And Paul says, he's the only one you can find confidence and safety in, in life and in death. Nothing compares to Christ. And we get to verse 10 and and Paul says, I want to know him. Now remember Paul's prayer in chapter 1? Paul's prayer was this in verses 9 to 11 of chapter 1, that our love, that you and I, friends, Reforming Church, our love would abound in all knowledge and discernment so we'd approve what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This is Paul's prayer. His answer to his prayer would be this, that we, that you and I, would know him in the power of his resurrection that we would actually have a confidence in the risen Christ and nothing else. Because no one else, nothing else, not your friends, not your family, not your business, not your workplace, not your money, not your bank account, not your superannuation, not your future, not your past, nothing died for your sin and rose for your hope. Nothing. Nothing compares to knowing Christ. Absolutely nothing. And if you try and make the comparison, well, you know what it is. It's rubbish. Because Jesus went to death on a cross in our place because he was treated as rubbish on the cross. It's Jesus who was treated like he's just a as worthy as a stool of poo. It's Jesus that is put on a cross and treated, humiliated, executed, God comes and becomes one of us and we kill him. He is a miracle worker who heals people, gives compassion, loves people. He restores people. And what do we do? Let's kill him. And he does it willingly. It's part of his plan. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to stand in their place under the wrath of God, shouldering their shame, their blame. He gets treated as the rubbish. He gets treated as the stool of poo so that we don't have to be. He takes the wrath of God. And you know what he does next? He confounds by coming back from the dead and secures your safety in heaven. 
So will you stay safe? The only way to stay safe, friends, is with joy in Jesus. Have your joy in Jesus. And what does that mean for us? I've got two things before we pray and turn to the table of the Lord's Supper. Two things. One, for the church. Two, for those who are looking in, who are still on the outside, but perhaps want to look in and say, how do I get to be part of this, Jesus? Firstly, for the church. Friends, celebrate. Live grateful lives. You have safety in Christ that you can't get anywhere else. The world gets to preach to you 24 hours a day, six days a week. The world is preaching to you, buy this, invest in this, do this for your safety, for your security. You want financial security? Live this way. You want security for your life tomorrow? Believe this. The world preaches at you day in, day out. It comes from social media, the TV, your friends, everywhere. Preaches to you. And we get half an hour to preach the truth and the reality that all that is rubbish to find your confidence in. Friends, if you're a part of Christ, you're in Him, you're in the church, celebrate. You get to see what the reality is and rejoice in Jesus. And for the church, one little thing I think we need to be mindful of. We can be very good, and we did it today, of confessing our unrighteousness, right? We confess our unrighteousness This says we also need to confess our self-righteousness. We also need to be quick to confess our self-righteousness. Where we easily find we drift. Oh, I feel a bit safer because I've been a Christian a long time. I feel a bit safer because I've been doing the right things. I feel a bit safer at circumcision, baptism, whatever it is we think makes us safe. Confess that self-righteousness and say... Confidence is in Christ alone. And that kind of rejoicing will keep you safe in the days ahead. Because everything else will actually be lost, won't it? If you find your joy in the things of this world, you're actually going to have sadness that has no consolation because everything you find joy in is going to go. You actually lose. If you find your joy in things of this life, relationships, friendships, whatever it is, all those things are going to go. They're going to turn to sand. They're going to disappear. They're going to go on. The only thing that will last into eternity is the church. Don't find your joy in those things. Find it in Jesus. And you won't have that kind of loss. You won't suffer that loss. Instead, suffer. When Paul says suffer, he says actually joyfully, the loss is saying it's actually rubbish. I don't find my safety in salvation in those things. And for you who are checking in to who Jesus is, you're looking in from the outside. Jesus now is welcoming you. He's inviting you. Come and trust in him. There's a day coming when there's a congregation that's going to be a fair bit bigger than this one. Like, it's innumerable to our eyes. And on that day, there is going to be a massive crowd... It's going to make the MCG look like a speck. 
In fact, crowds of that size will fade into the oblivion of the past because this crowd is going to be huge. And on this crowd and on that day, can you imagine meeting the God who made the universe, who knows your inner thoughts right now, saying to him, well, here's where I'm a bit, I'm a bit righteous, I'm a bit of a right person. That would just seem so... Well, let's use a word. It would be rubbish. But then imagine it not being that feeble attempt at self-righteousness. Imagine it being this. Where is your righteousness? It's in Him. That one. Him. In Christ alone. Do you want that kind of confidence? Rejoice in the Lord, friends. Rejoice. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father... We come to sing a song now. It is new to us, but it speaks of things of old, of what we believe. As we sing together and then turn to the table, we thank you that we believe, we know Christ, we have confidence in him, that he is our safety. Help us to look out for places where we would drift and find our confidence in other places. Help us to instead Guard against that by having more joy in Jesus, to trust him, to find our safety in him, in life and in death. We ask with thankful hearts, in Jesus' name, amen.